Welcome to Cattle Connect, your insight into Alabama's beef cattle industry. I'm your host, Kayla Greer, and this is Cattle Connect, brought to you by the Alabama Cattlemen's Association. Welcome back to the sixth week of the Cattle Connect podcast, and I already know, I feel like I'm reporting to the principal's office, it should be the seventh week, but hey, cut us some slack. Last week, we were a little preoccupied. As many of you may know, this time last week, our staff was preparing to kick off our largest event that we host as an association, and that was the 81st annual ACA Convention and Trade Show in Huntsville, Alabama. We had a great event. We hosted over... 800 cattle producers from each of Alabama's 67 counties through our trade show doors. And not only that, but the content of the event was just, it was good. Our, our educational sessions were top-notch. The nighttime meals were just downright fun. And there was no shortage of networking and time to catch up with old friends. So if you have never been to our um, annual convention and trade show, just let me go ahead and throw out a plug for next February 2025, we'll be in Birmingham, Alabama, and we'd love to see you there. So going back and speaking about those educational events, our sessions, they hosted some top-notch speakers. And if you tuned into the third episode of the Cattle Connect podcast, or if you were at convention, then you already know about that lineup. However, if you missed out on all the fun, then you're going to particularly enjoy today's podcast little different from previous weeks. Uh, you might notice that I'm not joined in studio today with my trusty co-host Aaron Beasley. Shout out to you, Aaron. We miss you. But instead, you guys are going to get to enjoy a series of interviews from our convention speakers. After they stepped off stage, I pulled them off to the side and grabbed a quick uh, interview that you guys are going to get to enjoy today. And what they did was they revisited the topics that were discussed on stage. So even if you miss them in person, you don't have to miss out completely. Don't worry. The podcast is here to save the day. So we encourage you to, to sit back and listen up as, as we kick off a series of three interviews broken up by some commercial breaks, and then I'll come back in at the end to see you guys off until next week. Your membership matters. Join the ACA today and enjoy exclusive member benefits, including a subscription to the Alabama Cattlemen Magazine. Learn more today at bamabeef.org slash join. This weekend at the 81st Annual ACA Convention and Trade Show, we've had no shortage of variety when it comes to speakers, from litigators to veterinarians to the lieutenant governor and home chefs. There was something new and exciting for everyone to take in throughout the weekend. Our first interview today is no exception. I'm joined live at the ACA Convention with Secretary of State Wes Allen. Secretary Allen, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Kayla. I appreciate it. What brings you to Huntsville for the Cattlemen's Convention this weekend? Well, I was able to uh, receive an invitation to speak to the Board of Directors luncheon yesterday, and uh, what an honor it is to be with y'all and all these fine Alabama patriots and, uh, you know, the growers of cattle and producers of cattle, and so it's just good to be here with, with y'all and been friends for a long time, so thank y'all. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Secretary Allen um, keynoted our Board of Directors luncheon that we held on Friday throughout convention and did a great job addressing that crowd. So, so far, Secretary Allen, you have seen most of what yeah. the Bama Beef Meat has to offer um, its attendees. Yeah. From your unique perspective as a cattle producer, right, or a former 
cattle producer? Well, my family used to, but uh, but we own a farm, but uh, we've done some row cropping in the past where we lease okay. it out. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, as a yeah. farmer then, as a farmer, yeah. from your unique perspective as a farmer and as a constitutional officer of the sure. state of Alabama, yeah. what are some of the highlights that you would say are of this event? Well, just to reconnect with so many friends throughout the state that I got to, uh, to know and be friends with on the campaign trail. That's one of the benefits that, that I enjoy is just reconnecting with friends. Also, just to see your trade show. Uh, it's really impressive on that floor out there to see all the, um, the vendors that y'all been able to bring in and what you offer to uh, the cattle producers around the state. That's tremendous as well. And just all the networking that goes on because really in the end, everything is about relationships and having good friendships and relationships with folks around the state is really important. We want to be accessible in the Secretary of State's office. So anytime anybody needs any help or assistance, we want to make sure that we get that uh, taken care of and any questions answered. Great. Yeah, there's a lot of networking going on. It took us a second to find a quiet place to have this conversation. So there's a lot going on. Our trade show is the largest um, cattle industry trade show in the state of Alabama, and we're proud of it. And we appreciate you stopping by and visiting with our vendors. Well, it's tremendous. Thank you. And last but certainly not least, from, from your office... Uh, there on on Goat Hill. What's happening? Any news out of there that we need to hear about or know about? Well, uh, the primary is coming up March the 5th, so I would encourage all of your listeners. I know they're very engaged in the political process anyway, but uh, of course, don't forget about March 5th primary. It's important. And, who, yeah. What are some of the names we might see on that ballot? Well, of course, it's the presidential primary, so you're going to see who you know all the presidential candidates on there. Uh, you're going to see um, the chief justice race. You're going to have congressional candidates uh, in the seven congressional uh, races across the state. Then, of course, you got a plethora of local races uh, throughout the counties in the state. So, I would encourage um, everyone to do their research, make sure they're prepared on March the fifth, and we're just been in constant communication with all the probate judges, circuit clerks, um, sheriffs, and the boards of registrars, because those are really the ones who run the elections. I mean, those are tremendous people who put so much work in. I'm so appreciative to them. You know, me, myself, I was a former probate judge, so I know exactly you know how much work goes into it. I know that. <laughs> how much work goes into it. I, I know exactly what they're, uh, what they're going through right now because I've been in their shoes before, and um, so I'm appreciative to them. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us this weekend, and um, we hope you have a great time the rest of the day here at Cattlemen's Convention. Well, thank you all so much for inviting me. We hope you're enjoying this week's podcast, but the fun doesn't have to stop here. Get benefits like this and so many more. Stay connected to Alabama's beef cattle industry today by visiting us online at bamabeef.org slash join. We would be missing out if we didn't um, interview our Cattlemen's Luncheon keynote that we had with us this year, and that is Lieutenant Governor Will Ainsworth. Governor Ainsworth, thanks for being here today. Yeah, no, always great to be here. I'm a member of Cattlemen's Association. I mean, what just a great group of people, and um, you just get to talk about our values, the stuff we're working on the state. You know, really enjoyed the luncheon today. It was awesome. Yeah, and we had a great crowd there that were excited to hear you. Um, If you could, just kind of briefly, I know that's hard to do, but briefly just recap some of the initiatives that you talked about um, during the Cattlemen's Luncheon so that our folks that weren't there can maybe hear. Sure, no, glad to do that. Uh, First, you know, talked about the state's doing well from a budget standpoint. Uh, We continue to see people move to our state. Um, And so we're probably in the best fiscal shape our state's ever been in. Um, Also talked about workforce development and um, how that's a passion to get every child in the state trained for a 21st century job. Um, When you look at it, 
you know, we've got 45% of our students in the state that end up not getting a two or four year degree. So we're creating a new diploma in high school called the Career Pathways Diploma, where they'll spend less time in the classroom, more time learning a trade, whether it's welding, um, you know, potentially construction, you know, whatever it is, they can go out and learn that. We think that's important. I'm um, also talked about our military and veterans families and just how important that is. Um, you know, we don't have a state or a country if it's not for our active and uh, veterans military. Our goal is simple. We want to be the most military and veteran-friendly state in the country. Also, an issue I know your members will care about is property taxes. And we've got a bill that's going to cap property tax um, rate increases every year. 3% on farms and homes, 5% uh, on businesses. Um, just because, you know, and I know some of your members have felt it, property taxes have got out of control and they're going way too up, it's hurting people. We've got to cap the increase, and so we've got a bill to do that. Yeah, we appreciate that. We talked about that bill, the Real Property Tax Assessment, um, a couple of podcasts ago on our ACA Legislative Priorities episode, so you guys go check that out. Um, Representative Philip Pettis is carrying that in the House, and Senator Sessions is carrying it in the Senate. So we are tracking that movement of that bill, and we'll be advocating for it um, on behalf of you guys as Cattlemen's members. All right, uh, Governor Ainsworth, you're not just Lieutenant Governor. You also, you're a cattleman, right? So tell us about that. Yeah, so I've got, uh, yeah, been a cattleman. I, right now, I've, I've downsized tremendously. I used to have over 200 head. I probably have about 25 right now. We've got uh, purebred Brahmins. Uh, most of our stock came from even uh, V8 or Hudgens. Um, bought some Circle F down in uh, Georgia. But we, uh, we got into the Brahmins purebred to raise bulls produce our own bulls because we were producing tiger stripes and crossing with Herefords. And, um, you know, now we just kind of, I love Brahmins and uh, I guess I'm kind of one of the unique people and our Brahmins are pretty docile and fairly calm. I mean, I told everybody in the meeting today, uh, my kids helped raise some, there's one of the bulls they actually rode, right. And yeah. uh, we could get on them and ride them. And he was cool with it. Uh, no, I wouldn't do that in a shoot because that'd be rough. But uh, <laughs> yes, we raised Brahmins, a small operation, about 25, and uh, but love it, enjoy it, and uh, man, it's a you know for me, uh, raising animals, raising kids on a farm, you know that's kind of what life's about. So it's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we appreciate you being here. He brought his kids with him to the show, so before um, attending the luncheon and speaking, they got to enjoy the trade show, and we just appreciate you being here visiting with our members. Hey, they loved it. Uh, the kids were like super fired up we had steak right i mean which is what you expect at cattlemen's exactly. but they they love steak and love food but uh yeah, i think it's important mate to make sure kids understand you know farming and agriculture and obviously my kids have lived it but uh they need to come to stuff like this and understand that you know uh, laws matter and that we better make sure that we get good people in public policy positions and then also they need to understand what organizations like the cattlemen's that i'm a member of right that they understand like why they're important and uh you know, because if, if you just if you don't expose kids to stuff, they're not going to learn. So I was glad they got to come. And thank you all for letting them come. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we appreciate you um, advocating for that on the countryside and in your own home. So yeah, thanks absolutely. for being here and joining us this weekend. Glad to do it. Anything I can do to help your members, please reach out to us. Uh, we work for you all. Don't rely on podcasts alone to stay connected to Alabama's beef industry. Follow us at AL Cattlemen on Facebook and Instagram to get daily news and updates from the Alabama Cattlemen's Association. All right, our next interview is one that you don't want to miss. Our friend Mary Thomas Hart, who serves as Chief Counsel with the NCBA Center for Public Policy, joined us to keynote our second general session of the weekend. She riled the crowd with her poignant presentation. 
and her in-depth knowledge. And let me tell you, she has literally taken on some of the toughest challenges that we faced as a modern industry, and she's done it with grace. She is an excellent advocate and litigator for the American Cattlemen. Mary Thomas, thanks for joining us this weekend. Thanks for having me, Kayla. Absolutely. So before we get too much into our chat, can you give us a quick introduction of yourself? And be sure to mention you are a down-home girl. Talk about your Alabama roots. I am. Um, so again, my name is Mary Thomas Hart. I'm chief counsel for NCBA, and I'm based in our Washington, D.C. office. And while I grew up in Florida, in North Florida, uh, my mom is from Lowndes County, and I spent a lot of summers in Hainville. Um, so much so that, that I definitely consider Alabama a second home and even went to law school at Sanford. So we're just going to jump right into the nuts and bolts of all the things that you talked about today during your general session um, conversation. So starting just moving along with the rubric of your talk, we're going to hit with the farm bill. It's been all the buzz in the agricultural sector and it's still in the works. It's been a long process. Uh, can you give us an update on where it's at in the process and what are NCBA's priorities with that package? Of course, um, I'll talk no action, it seems, on Capitol Hill. Um, we were supposed to have a new farm bill by the end of September 2023. Obviously, that didn't happen. Um, and the, the House and Senate Ag Committees are still in the process of writing that bill. So as they continue to draft that bill, we really have three big priorities. The first being maintained access to really important voluntary conservation programs like CRP, CSP, EQIP, and technical assistance from NRCS. Um, the second being those availability of risk management programs um, and risk protection tools like LRP. And then the third being animal disease preparedness tools like our FMD vaccine bank that was developed after the 2018 Farm Bill. Yes, we, you guys have heard us talk a lot about animal disease traceability here in the state of Alabama, and it's a conversation on the national front for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, I think when traceability comes up, at least for NCBA, we, we are primarily thinking about animal disease traceability, right? We want to make sure that if there's an FMD outbreak, we're able to address that as, as effectively and as quickly as possible. Um, because the longer that the industry is halted, essentially, which is what would happen if there was an outbreak, um, that is money not going into producers' pockets, quite frankly. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the stat. I think yesterday our state veterinarian, Dr. Tony Frazier, mentioned that um, it was estimated that it was $565 million for every hour that yeah. the disease went un undetected. That's That sounds about right. The last big stat that I heard is that the the economic hit would be a greater hit to the GDP, like the national GDP, than the 2008 recession. Mm. We're just going to pray that away. And Which, well, I, I think it shows you just how much our industry matters. Yeah, how impactful um, it is. And, you know, we're, we're pretty decentralized, right? Like, it's easy to be on a ranch and not really think about what goes on outside your community. But we have a massive impact on the American economy, um, obviously the American diet, but, you know, also the the natural resources that we manage. I think, you know, yeah. collectively, we are the largest single industry managing acreage in the United States. Yeah, it, there's a much bigger picture happening there um, out on the countryside, and you all are involved in it. So moving on um, to the next kind of piece that you talked about during your talk. You, you mentioned about a new rule regarding the EPA and greenhouse gas emission reports. Can you elaborate on that and how NCBA 
activated on that front? Sure. So, you know, greenhouse gas reporting is is always uh, a concern, I guess, and, and it seems like it comes from a million different directions. So what I mentioned in my presentation this morning um, was related to actually an existing EPA rule that would mandate greenhouse gas emissions reporting from a lot of farms and ranches across the country. Um, but fortunately, we don't have to file those reports because there's existing um, legislative text that basically defunds EPA being able to collect those reports. So we're really fortunate to be able to, to maintain that, that appropriations language every year um, through our you know, legislative efforts. But you know, we, we've seen an increase in, I guess, interest in getting that information from other agencies as well. Most recently, the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, mm -hmm. actually, a propo actually proposed a rule that would mandate greenhouse gas emissions re reporting for all publicly traded companies. Um, and because we're selling into those publicly traded right. companies, right, think Walmart, think, you know, Ruth Chris, it, it, any, both on the restaurant and retail side, um, if you're selling beef into one of those publicly traded supply chains, then that information would have to be turned over. Luckily, I think, you know, we've done a really good job working with the SEC and we expect them to finalize a rule that actually doesn't include that reporting requirement, which will be a huge win. But I think it shows that we have a lot of education to do across the federal government about why it is wholly improper to to ask yeah. for those types of reports yeah that, i think that's a great way to put that and we appreciate the work that you guys are doing um on that home front again you guys there's just so much to say about the work that ncba does um you know we like to say that they put boots on the ground on capitol hill while while you manage your farm and um our ACA now past president Chuck Madaris just is a huge advocate for say you know he, he uses the phrase all the time I don't want to do that I don't want to go to any you know state house or Capitol Hill that's not my thing and so these guys are doing an incredible job y'all have a team of nine lobbyists I think you referenced earlier and they just do an incredible job there in DC um, so moving on to a topic that um, we are familiar with here in the state of Alabama because it's been been a little bit of a buzz. Fake meat. Ooh, yeah. So here in Alabama, we've got a bill in motion currently um, in the session that's being carried by Senator Jack Williams that bans the manufacture, sale, or distribution of cell cultured food products in the state. And I called them food products because we have 2017 legislation. It was a Transparency and Labeling Act that we lobbied for. So they can't use the word meat on their labels. They have to say food products. Okay. We just wanted the consumer to know what they were getting. Um, we, you, they, we don't want them to think that they're getting meat that we raised right. <laughs> if it's cell culture products. Right. So the bill that I, I mentioned um, being carried by Senator Williams, he's jokingly in the state house being referred to as the Frankenstein meat bill. And um, so we, we have some fake meat conversations going on here in the state. What's happening in D.C.? Um, and how is NV, uh, NCBA advocating on that front? It sounds like ACA has made a very similar recognition to NCBA and, and we're kind of approaching it similarly. So it sounds like AP, or ACA 
has realized that there isn't a, a silver bullet solution, right? You've right. got to have a couple different pieces of policy that work together to achieve your goal. And NCBA is certainly in the same camp. Um, a few years back, probably 2018 or 2019, um, there was a, an agreement between FDA and USDA about how these products would be regulated um, because we, we were really concerned. We don't want to acknowledge that they're meat, right. um, but we also don't want FDA to be the primary regulatory authority also, because right. FDA is bad at regulating. <laughs> so we, we wanted, if these products are going to come to market, we need them to be held to the very high standard that traditional meat production right. and, and processing are. Food safety requirements, inspection requirements, all of that good stuff. Right. We don't want some company in Silicon Valley to get out of those requirements, right? And right. then if something happened in the food safety space, it would make us all look bad. That's right. Um, so that piece, the food safety piece, is certainly huge, and we continue to work in that space. I think most recently we're prepared to ask Congress to mandate that USDA develop a standard of identity um, so that those products can't call themselves beef, pork, chicken, mm -hmm. you know, you name it, um, because you all have worked so hard um, to create a, a really solid and good reputation. Yeah for the word beef, right? Well, and I think there's a, a you know, awful case study in our friends mm -hmm. in the dairy industry that we mm -hmm. all have learned from in that exactly spectrum. exactly right. You're exactly right. And, and, you know, even if you go to the grocery store, eggs are kind of the same way. Like, yeah. I almost bought a vegan, like, fake egg product a couple weeks ago because it literally said egg on the carton. Ugh. And only until I, like, got a couple aisles down and I was like, wait, this isn't even real egg. And I had to take it back. But, like, I think, you know, we tend to like make fun of consumers but really like it it, it is tough to be an, an informed mm -hmm. consumer at the grocery store especially oh, with all of the, the kind of imitation products that are available the one other policy piece that I'll kind of point to um, we're really interested in keeping these types of products out of the national school lunch program um, we know that kids learn to eat and learn what they like they develop a, a palate from an early age um, and we also know that there are you know, I think pretty significant cognitive benefits to getting all of the macro and micronutrients that you get from actually eating beef. Um, so we want to make sure that that, that um, high nutrition product is available to kids through the school lunch program and that companies or the federal government aren't trying to skirt that by substituting it for a, a fake product. Yeah, yeah, totally behind that and understand that cause there. Um, kids, it feels like they spend more time at school sometimes than they do at home. So they are definitely learning their culture and what they accept and what they enjoy in yeah. the school front. And for so many kids across the country, they're getting two of their three meals a day. Yeah, that's right. And, and maybe the only two meals that they're going to eat that day. Yeah. You know, maybe their only 10 meals of the week are coming from school. So I think it's so important to, to make sure that kids have access to healthy and nutritious foods, but yeah. also that we're, we're feeding them the real thing. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we're going to jump into a biggie here. Okay. This is an area of expertise that we know for you, particularly um, it's WOTUS, Waters of the U.S. Uh, can you tell our listeners why the NCBA and its state affiliates went so hard to bat up against um, the Biden administration version of the WOTUS ruling, and what was the outcome of those efforts? 
Absolutely. We've, we've been fighting regulatory definitions of WOTUS long before I joined NCBA, long before either of us were born, <laughs> yes. um, since the Clean Water Act was passed in the 70s. If you're, if you're in operation and you've been in business since 1970, you've dealt with 14 different regulatory WOTUS definitions, which is wild to me. But, but we really became activated back in 2015 when the Obama administration finalized a WOTUS definition that seemingly was more focused on regulating dry land than it was focused yeah. on regulating water. Yeah. Um, when you pull in ephemeral features that only carry water after it rains, that's when you're you're talking about regulating most of the dry land in the United States, yeah, right? Particularly here in the South. Particularly <laughs> in in the southeast and, and east of the Mississippi River, right? Yeah. You are definitely getting into some some areas where entire states would have been subject to federal jurisdiction. So we fought the Obama definition in court. Um, then the Trump administration rewrote that definition. We were much more supportive of that definition. Right. Then the Biden administration did another rewrite of the definition, got us practically back to where the Obama rule was. Um, so we took it to court. Meanwhile, there was a case going up to the Supreme Court, and it was a family in Idaho who were trying to build a lake house. And the, the EPA and Army Corps of Engineers showed up and told them they needed a, a very costly permit because they were messing with waters of the U.S. And, and this couple was like, really? Because we're in a, a subdivision. There mm -hmm. are tons of other houses that have been built. This clearly isn't something you've cared about until now. Until now. So they took it to the Supreme Court and asked if the, the wetland in that area was federally jurisdictional. Um, we submitted an amicus brief to the court in defense of that couple, um, and ultimately the Supreme Court held unanimously. So not just the conservative justices, yeah. it was every justice on the bench found in favor of that couple um, and found that those wetlands were not jurisdictional. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. you never hear that. It's usually like a five to four decision or exactly. something like that. So that's cool. Exactly. And it's given us, I think, a really good opportunity now with that decision to go back to the Biden administration and say, look, you're not just trying, you don't just have to answer to five conservative justices. You have to, con you have to answer to a unanimous court. And so right. um, we have a, a new version of the rule based on that opinion that I think gets us about eight. 85% of the way there. That's what I say is like, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. There are still some open questions about really how um, EPA is going to treat interstate waters that, that cross state yeah. boundaries. But other than that, I, I feel like we have come a long way on WOTUS in the last year and we can maybe kind of move on to focusing, focusing on some other big issues. Yeah, well, you guys can all appreciate the, the work that they're doing there. You know, we live in what's called America's Amazon with all of our waterways here in, in the state of Alabama. So there is not a farm on this state that doesn't have some type of navigable waterway on it. And so um, you guys stay tuned, stay paying attention and continue to submit your comments and support as needed on this topic. Um, so the American cattle industry is a beast, right? We talked about that earlier, mm -hmm. this monstrosity of a picture there. And there are many issues and mindsets across the different regions of the state. You know, we might see mm -hmm. things differently than maybe they do out west or in the northeast. And as a lobbyist for NCBA, uh, what houses your guidelines? Can you chat about the policy development that NCBA has in place? Of course, yeah. And, and I think we get questions like that a lot, right? Because if you're from the south and 
you or from the rural west you may not agree with us you know spending time or, or dedicating resources to working on the CAFO permit right because right. that's feeder specific or if you're a feeder you may not care a lot about you know NEPA regulations because that really only impacts our public lands ranchers in the west but how we divide our, our resources and our efforts is all rooted in our policy book right and and that's I think one of the reasons why I'm so proud to work for NCBA um, is because we are a, an association made up of 44 state affiliates and then 20 like uh, 26,000 individual producers that also join NCBA every year um, but all of the policy that goes into our policy book comes up through the grassroots process so it starts at a county cattlemen's meeting someone brings that policy it passes it goes to the state meeting it's considered and passed at the state meeting that state decides to bring it to NCBA and we meet twice a year we have um, seven policy committees I believe um, and I manage our property rights and environmental management policy committee and that policy committee meets every summer and every winter and considers policy that's passed through the various state meetings um, and some years we might pass five policies some years we might pass none um, but every policy that I end up advocating on has the full consideration and eventual endorsement of the state affiliates um, and I think you know no one goes home feeling like they've completely won everything right because that's the art and the beauty of compromise right. is that we we take one step together forward um, instead of maybe 10 steps forward or 10 steps back yeah um, and I think you know when we look at the the grand scheme and, and who all we're working with in Washington NCBA is one of the only associations that truly has and respects the grassroots process yeah and you mentioned earlier that once that policy is is voted on it's passed it's resolved it, it goes through some editing process and once it gets the clear that's your trigger as a lobbyist to get to work to head to the hill you're exactly right so when the policy is passed by the committee it goes through the resolutions committee basically the grammar committee um, and then it's considered by our board of directors and once it's passed by the board of directors it's in the books and I'm I'm going to town that's that's the signal for me to hit Capitol Hill um, and start lobbying and you know a lot of times I'll get a call from an individual producer who's like why aren't you working enough on this and I'll say we, we don't have policy on it but the, the second I have policy I'm on the hill so yeah. our policy book really does drive everything that we work on in Washington DC yeah and just bringing that back home guys you know we have a very similar process here in the state of Alabama again starts at the county level you can submit a, a policy change or um, a, a new policy or an amendment and um, starts at the county level your county president will bring it to the state office or to the to the state board and it's goes through the voting process from there and if it's passed again that's fine and Aaron signal to get to work and and we we developed that policy book probably in the last five years and it's been a great tool for Aaron and I as we um, navigate which bills that we're going to activate on or not yeah. activate on I think that's just as important as to know what not to activate on as it is to know what to get to work on so um, well Mary Thomas this has been great you and the team of lobbyists in DC do great work and we appreciate your efforts and your passion clearly you're so passionate about this um, I wish y'all could see her face when she's talking about this the podcast just I, I mentioned this in a couple of episodes I you just you need that nonverbal communication sometimes that you can't get from a podcast but before I let you go I've got to ask one more thing what would you say to a cattleman who wasn't sure if they wanted to become a member of NCBA, why would, how would you convince them? Ooh, um, 
It depends. So if they're already a member of Alabama Cattlemen, which I assume most of your listeners are, I would say that NCBA is here to bolster and support the work of Alabama Cattlemen and make sure that you're represented in Washington, D.C. You know, everyone has some form of representation of Washington, D.C. The cattle industry is going to be represented, um, but do you want to have a voice? And I, I think NCBA is the best way to guarantee that it's not just the voice of the cattle industry, it's your voice, yeah. right? Because of our grassroots process, um, I may not meet every NCBA member, I may not get to have a conversation with every NCBA member, but I know because of the grassroots process that when I advocate, um, based on our policy book, that I am advocating on behalf of all of those state affiliates and all of those direct members. Yeah, well, there you have it, folks. Um, straight from straight from the horse's mouth, all the work that's being done in D.C. and why you should consider being an NCBA member. Mary Thomas, thank you so much for joining us this weekend and on our podcast. Of course, thank you so much for having me. Well, there is a sound that we all know and love. It is time for this week's Cattle Connect Fast Facts. The first one up on the docket has to do with convention. Shocker. Today's episode had a lot to do with convention. And so we want to report to you who your new state officers are. One of the major goals of convention is to get a nominating committee report during our annual membership meeting. And um, we are proud to report that we have a new slate of state officers that had um, no dissenting votes from the membership. So those officers are Dr. Terry Slayton of Coleman County as our president. President-elect is Keith Glover of Hale County. Vice President is Wyatt Sasser of Covington County. And our treasurer is Richard Meadows of Houston County. So you guys uh, be sure to welcome them to the officer team. And thank you, gentlemen, so much for your leadership. We look forward to a year working with you guys. Number two on the Fast Facts, YCLP, Young Cattlemen's Leadership Program. You might have seen if you were at convention, we graduated the 10th class of our, our YCLP uh, students, and it is not too late to become a member of class 11. You have until mid-March to get signed up. You can go online to bamabeef.org slash YCLP to uh, submit an application. And if you have any questions, reach out to a local uh, cattle producer who was a member of one of our previous classes or call our office and ask to speak to Reed McGuire. Last but certainly not least, it is time to saddle up for the SLE Rodeo. We've got the rodeo coming in town March 15th through the 17th. Um, so get online, slerodeo.com, get those tickets, explore the calendar of events, and um, look forward to next week as I will be in studio with SLE Executive Director Sarah Hunter as we explore the SLE's unique mission. Well, folks, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Cattle Connect, brought to you by the Alabama Cattlemen's Association. Be sure to subscribe to get notified when our next episode goes live. And until next time, remember, beef, it's what's for dinner.